Welcome to Iron Sights. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School. Tradition meets innovation and imperfection meets excellence. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Steve Stonehouse. Yes, sir. Welcome to the Iron Sights Podcast, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I'm it feels so, kind of surreal. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, I was just saying that. I mean, I, I cut off our conversation like early on, right when you walked through the door, because there's been a lot of catching up. Yeah. It's been over, I'm thinking it's been closer to maybe at least 12? 10, 11, 12 years. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if we ran into one another down in Ursa or something at one point. Times. and yeah. Passing in the, in the the throes of all the things that are going on at one of those conferences or whatever, but it's, man, it's good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you too. I've been looking forward to this, whether it was on this, uh, uh, podcast or at your studio or been looking forward to catching up. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, I feel blessed. You know, I've crossed paths with so many amazing people in the fitness industry over the years. Uh, there are some highlights that go through there, but certainly our connection back in would have been probably the end of 2009, uh, or the last part of 2009, I think at least. Uh, so this will be the first opportunity for a good story here. It was the middle of 2009 because my first phone conversation with you, I was at the hospital when my daughter was being born. That is right. Yeah. May. She was born May 18th. Wow. Yeah. May wow. of 09. I do remember that. And you were, what, were you in Ohio? Cleveland. Ohio. Yeah. Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, yeah that's right. And who were, you, who were you with then? Urban Active. That's right. Yeah. And that was, po- so that was just after the 24-hour days. Yep. Yeah, man. I mean, again, moon, sun, and stars kind of lined up, and it wasn't too long after that that we connected down in Dallas and yep. spent a couple of days together riding around, shooting up the town. and For sure. And uh, <laughs> with our, our short-lived yeah. little part of our career there where we got the heck out. And but to your to point, I mean, a little bit of time sometimes, you know, it goes a long way. It does, man. Um, and, and because, because this is such a special occasion, I brought you a gift. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. So. There's literally no telling what is it this? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and open it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. But drones. Nice. I don't know if I can repeat. Is this a PG show? No, I don't know if I can. You can say whatever you want, man. You can say whatever you want. This is as good as it gets right here. Agreed, hundred percent. Drones. Yeah, man. I'm sure you know this already, but uh, the uh, uh, the guy that runs Pedrone, he's expected to be elected the next uh, president of Nicaragua. You should have been I'm that sure, guy a long sure time heard. ago. Yeah, I'm sure you heard. <laughs> Thank you very much. These will. These will not go to waste. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, enjoy. Love it. it. Yeah. Smoke them through the holidays. Oh, be your yeah. Friends and family, man. For sure. Yeah. Um. Anniversary series, 1964. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, man. So here we are. We, catch me up. So first off, we, we've talked a little bit. I mean, you're now with Stride. Yes. Right. And I want to, I want to talk about stride a little bit, but I want to kind of talk a little bit about just your, you know, your career path and, and how you got there. I think you got a lot of, a lot to provide from a leadership perspective and, um, also just from, from the fitness and health and wellness, wellness perspective. But man, how's life today? Life is really good. I have no complaints. I've got a beautiful wife, two cool little kids and, 
you know, a job that I enjoy and, you know, people like yourself and, you know, others that you kind of, you had mentioned about just, there's just a lot of good people in this industry. So you spend 20 plus years in the industry, you end up crossing paths with some great folks and I've certainly done that. So uh, life's good, man. Social media allows us to stay connected to all those people. So it's nice. Right, right. Yeah. You, were t- you were just kind of getting into something when I cut you off earlier, just about having, it was a special day in the Stonehouse household. What's going on yeah. today, man? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was telling a brief story, unlike a lot of my stories. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, my son is the competitive one of my two kids. But uh, a few weeks ago, my daughter, who is in seventh grade, her name is Sydney. She is as pure as the driven snow. (laughs) She uh, informs me that she's going to try out for the volleyball team. Is that right? So today is seventh grade volleyball tryouts. That's outstanding. So, uh, yeah. How do you expect that to go? I mean, I'm not sure if a seventh grader is ready for a padrone or not, but <laughs> we might be. I might be sharing a padrone with my 12-year-old daughter this night. Tonight, oh, victory is ours. No, uh, but that's uh, it's a big day because she is just, um, at least up to this point, has not uh, been overly competitive, and yeah. she's just the most supportive older sister than you can imagine. I mean, she'll go and support major and everything. And I think she's really intelligent, which she probably gets from her mother's side of the family, but she's realized early on that, Hey, if I, if I can focus and support major, then that keeps the attention off of me. Mm -hmm. So my parents aren't going to force me to do anything. So she's, she's bright. She really is, but she stepped out and I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous for her. Well, What drove this man? Not sure. I think maybe a, uh, my guess is a few friends, okay. you know, a few friends are trying out and she's like, all right, let's do this. Social influence. Actually, I think I was watching Top Gun last week <laughs> and she was like, I'm going to do that. So she wants to fly fighter jets. I mean, and play volleyball. Oh, gotcha. With uh, Kenny uh, Loggins playing in the oh, background. Oh, right, right. Yeah, with, yeah. with half-dressed males and jean shorts who doesn't whatever you know who doesn't want <laughs> i mean that was a very inspiring movie sure. for me when i was her age which sure. is exactly when that thing came out as a matter of fact absolutely seventh or eighth grade well man I, I guess just getting right into things you have sort of an interesting career you've had did you start as a coach yeah yeah, yeah i started part-time uh personal training with you know 24-hour fitness i was also coaching for a, a company called run on at the time which mm-hmm. is a, just kind of a specialty run company there in dallas they've got kind of a a retail arm of of their business too but yeah started just hey i guess i'll do this until i figure out what, what i want to do. do like a lot of coaches yeah mm-hmm. and uh Man, just really, really fell in love with it. Spent, you know, 10 years with 24. Um, You know, that kind of went from personal trainer to fitness manager to multi-unit kind of manager there. But I'll tell you, when I look back at my personal training time, it very quickly, uh, as much as I enjoyed it, I I concluded very quickly that, you know, I didn't want to do that for that long. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, I saw... Um, a few of my fitness managers and I was like, okay, that's, that's my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoyed the multi-unit thing and all that. But when I look at the 22 years, the, the peak, if I was drawing some kind of peak, I, I think I've had the most influence, probably the most fun, um, you know, training trainers, right. that fitness manager position is just kind of like a, 
I don't know, man. It's hard to explain. It's exciting. There can be some stress depending on kind of your situation, but um, that's, I think that's the first time professionally where I was like, man, I'm really good at this. Mm. I don't know that I ever felt that way. I felt very educated. I felt very prepared as a personal trainer, but I don't know that I ever sat back at like a trainer meeting and was like, y'all dudes know who the man is, <laughs> right? I, right. I, it's just probably not my personality either, but there were times as a fitness manager where I felt like, hey, I could go in any room of any other fitness managers and right. I'm as good as anybody in the room. Yeah, that's that's important. Yeah. I mean, feeling that confidence. I, you know, not wanting to be a personal trainer forever and recognizing yeah. that, that, that there's another, there are other things you can do. Yeah. Right? And I think, again, a lot of people get into it like – this is, I'm passionate about this, about this fitness thing. I like working out. I like hanging out at the gym. The uniform looks cool. The chicks dig it. Right. You know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> you quickly find out what kind of a job that is. And it's not that you can't make a career doing it, but you, there's some, there's a certainly, there's a formula to doing it. And you, you know, whether or not you're cut out for that formula yeah. or not. Yeah. Well, and the, you know, the line that you hear so often is like, Hey, I got into this cause I wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. I think that's still, that still applied for me, but I saw so many trainers having some of the struggles that I did with sales and all that. I got into it cause I want to help people, but I want to help those people. Mm. Like not, not these people, not that, I mean, somebody needs to help these people, <laughs> but I didn't want to help those people too much longer. I wanted to help these people yeah, gotcha. because I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, when I got into personal training part-time, I didn't know there was like a full career path and, you know, there, there, it wasn't as definitive as it is now. Oh, certainly not. Uh, but, uh, I think I found that and I was like, oh man, maybe I can, you know, show some other people this too. Yeah. I mean, you were, you were with 24 at a time where probably leadership was at its strongest. Um, yeah. you know, personal training, they were, they had figured out the formula, at least for the 24 hour clubs. They were yep. sort of on the cutting edge of, the not only do we have the facilities and we have the resources to provide sort of this you know more of a full service type offering because there was the nutrition piece of it um, yeah. uh, that was being offered there was the supplementation piece you know and they were figuring out a way to make money doing it but they provided the resources and the structure from a train from a an employee development perspective right. whether you were a coach on the floor or you were a manager somewhere in the system there was a and th- they quickly came up with this they, they implemented systems, which are always the biggest part of running those types of programs. And then they wanted their people trained on it and they rewarded people for doing a good job within, yep. the, within the training. So at some place along the way, A, knowing that you were good at this and you, you knew that kind of right away, how, how long did it take before um, the <laughs> your supervisors believed that you, you were as good as you thought you were? Yeah, that's a good question. Um I think over, um, I was the fitness manager of a few different locations in Dallas. Uh, I moved to Austin to help kind of expand that market. Uh, ended up being the fitness manager of two or three locations there. And it's, that's an interesting question because the last couple of years of my kind of club level fitness manager career, um, I had interviewed for a multi-unit uh, position. We called it a, a district fitness manager. I had interviewed for openings that had come up several times and not got it. Okay. Um, which I think like a lot of people, as your just maturity curve kind of comes along, I felt like I should have got it. And I was the guy that, you know, it, it, the way that a lot of people feel, I'm sure. Um, and 
I I don't know that I had reached that, you know, whatever level you want to call it. But I, I, I was at a point where, you know, the clubs that I was running was successful. They were successful. Um, and, you know, other metrics were good. You know, turnover was low and those kinds of things. Those are all important things. Those are all important yeah. things for sure. But I, without a doubt, the the thing that – this would be a, a, an interesting little study – I don't know this for sure, but what I would hope if someone that was a fitness manager in my market when I was a fitness manager, somebody that I was peers with, if somebody was like, hey, tell me about Steve or what do you remember about okay. Steve or what, what was, what, why did he get promoted, you know, mm-hmm. and other people didn't. I think when I finally did get promoted, it was because I had kind of cracked the code on, on duplicating you know, future fitness managers, right? It's like this, okay, great. You're a fitness manager. You're trying to figure it out. Some people get it. Some people don't. Right. Okay. The next level is, okay, you got it. You're winning. You could go to multiple locations. You could turn it around. You could open a new club. You could win, but it's still, you're a genius with a thousand helpers. If I pull you out, the thing goes down, right? You're the million dollar key to this thing. And then that last level was, okay, how do I start to create more, you know, more fitness managers. And that's when, you know, it's hard to kind of put a price on that value and agreed hundred percent, you know, that's where I would say, you know, I started to separate myself a little bit or I, you know, back to that, Hey man, I'm pretty good at this. I think that's where I felt like, okay, I'm pretty good at that. Okay. So now you, you, you you found yourself in a situation where you're the, you're the key to the bigger operation, right? That the company needs to send fitness managers or future fitness managers to you to turn out to, Again, going back to 24's, I want to say dominance at that time, they're really taking over as brand new clubs, brand new right. markets all over the country. Yeah. So usually the way this thing goes is you're kind of like an area guy. You might have four or five, six, yep. six clubs or whatever. Yep. And then you go to like more of a regional guy and it might turn into 50, 60 clubs. Yep. What's that looking like for you at this point? Yeah, so I was in Austin and uh, I got the opportunity to uh, take on a multi-unit role in Houston. I had to move to Houston, um, which is a market that was probably on the I'm not in a hurry to move there list. I don't know who um, want to live in Houston, I'm going to be honest. But, but what was interesting about uh, my situation when I finally did get promoted is we were deep enough. You know, we only had five clubs in Austin, but we had, you know, there was a pivotal it was a, a, you know, there's these little points on the timeline as you kind of look back over your career. We were at a, um, an annual conference and our um, VP of fitness, we were in a, a little breakout and there was, I don't know, 40, 50 managers in a room. And this guy was giving us some love, uh, which always feels good. Um, but he gave it in, in the way of, you know, he had challenged the room and said, you know, I don't care what market you run. If if you're not spending three or four hundred dollars on a plane ticket to fly to Austin and figure out what they're doing, you know, you're out of your mind, mm. right? Which goes a long that way to kind of hear that, right? Yeah, so, for sure. um, so we had a lot of attention. We were deep enough at that point too with talent that, you know, I got promoted and there was an opportunity to to take four future fitness managers. So they they were assistant fitness managers at, at various locations in Austin, but I had worked with them before and some of them I had hired. Um, I was moving to Houston to take on that multi-unit role. 
uh, and they moved as well. Mm. So not only was so it an opportunity for me, yeah, which said a lot to me. It was a lot of pressure, but it said a lot to me too because not only are they getting promoted, but you know these dudes are willing to move They're to falling. a place that yeah. probably wasn't at the top of their places not on the move to list. That's for sure. It's not Austin. So um, anyway, that that was the start of my uh, district fitness manager career was in Houston uh, with a lot of – um, kind of newly promoted folks, but they kind of knew the way we did things and what the expectations were. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a good time. I think, uh, you know, so I imagine things start to accelerate pretty quick for you at this point, right? I mean, yeah. you, you've, now you've moved, you're, you're successful in Houston. I mean, the, the, the history book's kind of written there. You start to kind of take off. What's going on with your eyeballs in terms of upward trajectory Yep. specific to your career path now. I mean, just like you'd figured out, yeah. you know, coaching is not what I want to do forever. Right. At least not coaching, you know, people or right. uh, clients. Clients. My, yep. Now my clients are my fitness managers um, yeah. and so forth. What, what, what happens now? Yeah, I had, you know, to your point about, you know, 24 had cracked the code, so to speak, on how this personal training thing is supposed to be done. Uh, and there were several kind of levels, to, like you said, regional and then, you know, just larger roles. So I had just, you know, my thought was, hey, I'm going to get here. I'm going to settle in. My wife and I kind of had an understanding of, hey, this thing's probably going to take us to a few different cities. So we were mobile and didn't have kids at the time or anything like that. So, you know, we were all in on, hey, wherever we got to go, wherever the opportunities are. So, you know, I had moved from Dallas back to Austin. That ended up well. That created an opportunity in Houston. I had moved to Houston. And I my plan at that point was, hey, I'm going to you know, you're kind of naive at that point. I'm going to crush this. Right. What what else What's you got? Next? I'm going to crush What's that. Next? And like six months into my district fitness manager career, maybe it was about a year, uh, is when uh, the whole world shifted. What happened? Um, you know, Mark Mastroff, who was the owner and founder yep. of 24, he sold 24. Mm -hmm. So there was some new leadership that had come in. And really over the course of like a few months, I kind of found myself like looking around, like man, everybody I believed in was gone. Is bailing? Yeah. So I mean, let's just let's stop right there for a second. Because yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is when the guys from Home Depot came in and yep. took over the company, right? Yeah. So you you got a completely different mindset. Mashdorf rally. I mean, there's so many guys. You know, there's so many guys in that in that group that yep. have still with Mark. They're still the group for sure. Um, and you're dealing with some of them now. Yeah. But. Uh, they were fitness guys. Yeah. These were guys that worked out. These were guys that, you know, believe that fitness was a lifestyle for them. Um, and, you know, they, they, you could see them in the gyms. They were working out every day and whatnot. And now you have in this new, this new group that comes in the door and they're disconnected. Yeah. Right. Um, and at least the stories that I've heard was, I mean, disconnected is probably an, an understatement from what was happening. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about some of the immediate shifts that happened that, that were the most impactful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, all this is under the pretense and this is kind of a self, uh, indictment as well. Fitness guys, as you know, you know, we're not always level headed and patient and Hey, know. let's just, let's hear them out. And maybe this <laughs> is a better way to do it. It's not that right. right. So it was a really different style and a really different business model presented to a group of people that, 
the way they were doing it had been very successful. So they were reluctant to change, myself included, right? So, um, yeah, I think that just very quickly you kind of got the sense of, okay, this whole business thing, it's not about the people anymore. Right. And, you know, I guess there's a lot of different ways to say it, but that's how it felt in the field. Um, even if even if they were there, because uh, the guy's name was Carl. Carl, he did his rounds and he was visible, but it just... Didn't feel the same. No, nah, not at all. Yeah. So, you know, decisions, um, you know, decisions from things like... Um, we'll put kiosks in the lobby instead of having salespeople yeah. or, you know, look, you yeah. say that in 2021, it doesn't sound crazy at all. Right. But in 2008 or 2007, it was like, what all these people that busted their butt and did all this kind of stuff. You can't let a computer do that. You yeah. know, there's pro- so the ki- the kiosk thing to be clear, just to catch people <laughs> up here, the kiosk thing was the membership sales counter. Yes. So you didn't go in. So in the past, the, and it's it's this way now, even still. Like there's a relationship that gets built, yes. And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not so good, depending on you know yep. where you're at as a salesperson in the process of learning how to be, you know, you know, good at that. At yeah. The, you know, in the fitness industry, but there was a, and the, all this happened over the phone. There was no text you know, mass text messaging and emailing and all that stuff. So there was a relationship that was quickly built over the phone, at least attempted. Then that person came into the club. That person that you talked to on the phone would greet you at the front desk. There'd be a signing of the waiver. There'd be a tour, you know, re-talking about your fitness goals and all your fitness needs. How are we going to be the solution for you here at 24-Hour Fitness? And here's all the resources I'm going to provide for you, including this personal training package over here, which is going to get you off to the right start. I mean, this was the thing, right? And now, now all of a sudden, and it's well we're going to cut out that whole process yeah. and we're going to put a kiosk yeah somebody can walk in the door right and punch in what they want and it's kind of like a mcdonald's menu for lack of a better term yeah right just hit the keys and it'll kick out whatever you need put your credit card in the machine and you're good yeah. to go yeah and you know the i think the bigger message that that sent was man this th- with this one little idea it tells me how much you don't know about this. Cause you know, if you're in it, you know that look, that country's out of shape. People don't want to do it. Okay. They're not going to, they, they want McDonald's. So that's why the kiosk works at McDonald's. Right. Okay. They don't want to exercise. They, that's, they make bad decisions. They're in the position they're in because they don't make great decisions. <laughs> right. So the idea that they're just going to roll in and start making great decisions in front of a, of a kiosk. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I think more so than the threat of our friends that are salespeople aren't going to be needed anymore. It was a, see, he don't get it, right? That was like the, you know, the word around town. Sure. It's so hard, you know, because yeah. again, people start recognizing that and then people start falling off, right? Yeah. So Mastroff had left. Yep. Um, a lot of the senior senior leadership had left and what hadn't, what had tried to hang on ultimately probably left somewhere along the the, the way and what I think 24 hour ultimately got left with was at best a B team. At best. Uh, prob- yeah. And it was probably yeah. more like the C team. Um, you know, it was the backup to the backup that was, that was out there and they, they spent a long time floundering and it never really recovered as far as I'm concerned. No, not only was, you know, I, I don't want to throw too much shade on that next generation of people. They just weren't ready. Were ready. It was a, yeah. They yeah. weren't ready. Too, uh, the job was too big for them. Well, not only was it too big, there were too few of them too, because they were eliminating, hey, why do we need so many managers? 
at one club, right? Why do we need somebody to run operations, somebody to run sales, yep. somebody to run fitness? What, one, one person can do all that. They're just not a full understanding yeah. so of the So you had a less, a less experienced person that was more alone. He had less support too, right? Because going from functional multi-unit managers, so instead of having a district fitness manager, a district ops manager, a district sales manager, it went to one district manager right. as well. So I think it's a, I think it's important to kind of highlight this because I think, and it'd be interesting to get your take on it, but this is what I'm getting from a lot of fitness leaders out there, that we're back in the same situation again, sort of at a, at a large level, level after all the shutting down that's happened and, yeah. and where we are just kind of in the, in the general job market. And I wouldn't say that it's isolated to just fitness and, uh, you know, I live in the heart of the Silicon Valley. I talk to the tech people all yeah. the time and have some pretty, some people with some you know, pretty high level jobs that, that walk in and out the door to Red Dot every day or that I'm associated with one way or another. And they're talking about what you're talking about right now and that yeah. pressure's being put on um, at at different levels, right? For, right. And, and people are feeling these internal and external pressures. And it's not just coming from a restructure at work. It's like a restructure of the world right yeah. now, you know? And, and people are finding themselves in a, in this, in this spot where they're having to make decisions. Now, all of a sudden they're in a position where they recognize I have to have control here. And they didn't, maybe didn't have that control or they, they weren't, um, not, they're just recognizing for the first time in their life, they need to take control. So all of a sudden they have it and, and aren't sure what to do with it. Or they didn't realize they were going to have to take it and they have no skill level to do that. And now they're being forced to make decisions that's stressing them out. Yeah. They're making poor decisions and they're, they're, those relationships are being uh, tarnished or, or whatever. They're just not being developed appropriately. So you're, we're, we're looking at a basically a, a world that may have looked like 24-hour fitness day right now where the talent pool is being stretched. Yep. Um, you've got people in positions of quote-unquote leadership that aren't ready that it's they're just not right they're just not there yet um so, and, and what that creates is there's some real simple things i mean i saw i've watched it happen in leadership changes and restructuring right. and things like that people start getting a little frustrated right and then definitely it, right yeah and then and then they start looking at it going well you know i'm frustrated and this isn't my fault I'm not in control. I'm not the one making the decision. So rather than showing up with a passion to solution find and, and work through problems, they're like, I'm just going to tick the box today. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to do kind of the bare minimum or punch the clock. Yeah. Right? Well, and how, I think how it compounds, if we go back to that scenario of, okay, now you got this underexperienced manager uh, who's put in position, not ready, and he doesn't have the support partners that, the previous structure provided, it's not just, hey, that guy's going to struggle and whatever that creates. It's also now the people that would be his next gen, they're looking at him and they're like, I don't want any I part don't want of that. that job. Yeah. That's which a is, big problem. I know, yeah. which is one of the things that I, I'd like to say. I don't know. I'd, I'd probably visit with some people. Maybe they would tell me otherwise, but I'd like to think anyone uh, that was ever... Uh, a trainer or an assistant fitness manager at a club that I was a fitness manager at, one of the reasons they wanted to be a fitness manager, they never wanted to be a fitness manager until I got moved to that club. But it was just because, man, he's not stressed. Looks like he's having a good time. I mean, they didn't know me that well, but that's just kind of me. But hey, so you can do this job. It is possible to do it without being stressed all the time. And it's not like it's all about sales. You can focus on people and still win. You know that. But the flip side of that is 
man, that guy, he don't have any partners. He's hating his life right now, man. And no way. I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to school or a hundred of the other excuses that trainers use. When- yeah. It, the, the sort of the, the philosophy or the work ethic changes there along the way, because the whole first in last out, you know, as a, as a fitness manager, I know when I first started, I was like, I wanted to be there first thing totally. in the morning because that's when the action's happening. Yep. That's where I could impact the most people. And I knew that having that impact on people, let's let's be honest, at the end, definitely impacted my compensation. Yeah. Right. I knew when I worked hard, I got compensated fairly. So I was first in and I was last out. And and that that again, people looked at that like, look, if you want to be the best or you want to be if you're that competitive, you're gonna be there. Yep. And you're and it was almost it wasn't assumed but it was encouraged for sure. And that sort of that work ethic and that attitude was seen by those other people. And again, if you're doing it in a way that you're having fun doing it and you know, you're driving a nice car and you're living in a nice place and you've got nice things, but also you're having fun and you can see it and you can feel it and smell it. It, it makes sense for the next person that would be coming to, well, I got to work like Steve did. Right. Or I, that's just what the job is versus now it's, it's a little bit that 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 work ethic. Yeah. Those old guys, you know, I go, man, you don't know what hard work is. Yeah, you know, like you haven't done anything yet, just because you've you know you worked eight hours. You, okay, you worked eight right. hours. What do you have to show for that? Yeah, but, but that the, same bell to bell, that guy that's not winning, he doesn't tell that story the same way. He's like, I got to be here early. I got to be. You know what I'm saying? It's just point. the perspective's totally different. Yeah. Which again, that. That bleeds down to anybody that you're around, not even people underneath you, but partners. You go to meetings. It's like, oh, man, we're all getting our butts kicked kind of thing. And it's just, you know, so. So what did that ultimately mean for you? Yeah, that meant, um, you know, as I said, I, I looked around. Hey, everybody that I believed in is gone. Now now what kind of thing? Um, I had done well at staying in contact with people and had a few of uh, my previous partners had gone to a company called Urban Active, which I I think in their previous days was uh, a larger Gold's Gym franchisee that had rebranded to Urban Active, but they were in uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Ohio, uh, and then expanding more. Uh, But I transitioned with a sales partner of mine. We both went uh, and you know, moved to Cleveland, Ohio, which again, probably right underneath Houston, uh, was not the hotbed of, uh, you know, uh, places that people want to move to or whatever. But um, anyway, I, I actually, as crazy as it sounds, I actually really enjoyed, you know, Cleveland wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. Sports town. It's a sports town. Yeah. Um, you know, the gyms were beautiful. The people that I got to work with uh, were amazing. Very talented people. That's one thing, one common denominator. I just, you know, I think I may have even mentioned to you before. I'm like, man, I'm like the luckiest dude mm-hmm. that's kind of come through this thing because I've just, man, I've been surrounded by a lot of really good people at different brands. You know, you go to different brands sometimes and maybe you think, oh man, you know, this is probably going to be a lower caliber person here. That's why this, this company isn't doing as well or something like that. And I just, for me, at least personally, my experiences, I haven't found that. I've just been very fortunate, found great people everywhere. So Urban Active, you know, same thing. They sold their PT a little different. They Mm did, um, you know, it was kind of uh, these prepaid packages yep. where you could buy it in six months and 12 months. So a little bit of the, the presentation change, uh, but 
still good people, good trainers, a little bit more of a sales focus. Uh, I was overseeing uh, Cleveland and Toledo. Um, and uh, in the wintertime, that was beautiful. Trust me, it really was. <laughs> that drive between Cleveland and Toledo was amazing. Uh, but no, it was it was a good time. And, and Urban Active, I was there for um, uh, a year and a half or so till I transitioned yep. uh, there. Yeah, so the interesting, I mean, you've already talked about a couple of moves, right? Yeah. I mean, there's been there's been more than, this is two moves at, at least at this point. I think it's important, again, to note at that time, and, and this is the fitness industry at large, uh, you know, when you start to move up the ranks there, you take the opportunities to present themselves. I mean, yep. there's, there's new opportunities. You know, we're opening a new market and such and such. I mean, that's kind of how I got started. And a lot of what happened with me, you know, along the way is was moving from market to market. And you, it's something you have to sign on for, you know, that you, you get up and you get up and you do these things. I don't know if that happens quite the same as it did, did back then. I, I really, I really don't know. I don't know what your experience is there. Now, I, I know you've been sort of central and, you know here in Southern California for quite some time. Yeah. I've yeah. had to make a move for a while. But. Yeah. Longest, longest I've lived anywhere since, since I kind of started my profession. Yeah. It's just career. part of the deal. So if you're yep. in a, if you're in the business and you want to make a long-term career is that, you know, in a, from a, a company that has multiple, you know, markets and multiple locations, you should expect you're going to move. It's just part of the deal. So yeah. whoever you're having relationships with, you know, your partner in life or whatever, they, they got to be on board with that. This is, it moves fast. It does. It moves real fast. Yep. So Urban Active, um, I think that's about the time we we came in, in contact with one another. And, yep. You know, there was a little bit of a, a crossover there. And then you moved on to, was it UFC? Uh, crunch. I moved to New that's York. That's right, it was Crunch. Yep. Uh, so so I another move. Was in, yep. Was in uh, New York uh, for three years or so, back with uh, Mark and Jim Rowley and the, the yeah. kind of NEV group and couldn't have been uh, happier right. to kind of be back with that kind of familiarity. And um, along with the, hey, sometimes your career is going to take some kind of funky turns, some of them a little more predictable than others. But sometimes even if you've been successful, that career is going to take a step back too. So when I moved to to New York, uh, I went back into a club as a, a single club fitness manager, um, which... Um, you know, for some people may have been a little bit more difficult. Maybe ego hit. Yeah. My, luckily for me, you know, I was going back into the position that I felt like the I was best at. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. We're doing it in New York now. Let's do it. Right. Uh, and um, it doesn't always work out this way. But for me, in this case, it did. The things that worked for me in Austin they worked as good or better in New York. Great people around me in New York have got built some just great friendships that I still have today. My wife did too. Um, and New York was just a home run. And as a Texas guy, you wouldn't think that New York is where I'm going to feel real comfortable. But as crazy as it sounds, it, it's one of my favorite places. I really enjoyed living there. Enjoy the people there. You know, sometimes people like like, New Yorkers are uh, rude or, you know, not helpful. Oh, I disagree. I, I haven't found that at all. Oh, I disagree. 100%. Yep. They're just in a hurry. Uh, and, period. And, and they're going to tell you how that, what's on their mind. Yes. They're not going to play games. Yeah. But, I'll tell you that the consumer was really different, which was good development for me. Hey, let's talk about that. Yeah. My experience is they like getting into the sales game. They like do. The, the sales is. They could care they less. Yeah. They could care less how much the total package of PT costs. Yeah. They're like, well, this one's. 
$105 a session. That one's $120 a session. Why wouldn't I do this one, right? right? Well, you know, in other markets, you'd be like, $3,000. I'm not spending $3,000 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That that big number means nothing. Right. It's like, this is a sm- it was just a sharper financial consumer. A thousand percent. I, yep. That was my thing, too, is you, your presentation there needed, and by the, well, it just needed to be polished. Yes. And you, there was no shell games going on. Nope. You, you're not going to play that just game. Just give it to me. It, I ain't got time for all tell this. Tell me what's up, yep. right? How much does this cost? I'm going to tell you whether I can or can't do it. I'm going to, I'm going to try and negotiate. So if you're the salesperson, like you got to understand that that's part of the process. Yes. Uh, look, there's going to be a little bit of a negotiation game. You let them know, nope. This is what it is, or this is what it isn't. Okay, I'll take that. Yep. You know, and it was just like, we, and we're, we're moving on with business. And the other thing that I found interesting about New York is everybody works out, right? Yes. Everybody's doing something. Everybody's yep. got a trainer too. Everybody. It wasn't 100%. foreign to anybody. Like, uh, it wasn't like they were getting slammed over the head with something they hadn't seen coming. You know, yep. after buying a gym membership, like they knew this was the thing. And you know, most people had worked with the coach, and of course, all the celebrities and all the important people and all the you know all the all those people that they knew in their neighborhood or whatever, they all work with coaches too. So yeah. that meant the competition level was much higher. Yeah, um, and I think the what what I what I recognize my time spent there, which wasn't a lot, but it was enough, and with a lot of people from there. Um, <laughs> there's always a um, there's always an angle, and I think that's the case in, in any, any. But I would love to hear some of the crazy shit you may have come across with yeah. some of the coaches. Like, what were some of the angles yeah. they were bringing to the to the table? Well, first and foremost, what I loved, and I I'm not sure it would work well for everybody from Texas, but I loved. I totally played up the being from Texas thing because the accents there and I talk slower than they do and the guard comes down, right? Oh, this guy never take advantage of me. Not, not that I'm trying to take advantage of anybody, but I, I was not trying to squash that reputation at all. I'll be that guy if yeah. you want me to. Um, but again, yeah, I, you know, you're right in terms of what I found there, even before it was, you know, nowadays it's more common there, it was probably more common there, but it was, you know, everybody had a side hustle. Yeah. Everybody's grinding. Everybody's, you know, I got to, you know, dip out because I got to do two things before my next session an hour for now. There, just New York in general, there's just not a lot of sitting around not doing anything. If I've got an hour between clients, there's 12 things I can go get done uh, in that hour or something. It's just, it's a, it's a busy, productive um really hungry, right? resilient, you know, mindset. This was post 9-11. That was another unique thing about my experience there is, you know, everyone has a, a 9-11 story, which, um, you know, if you've, if you've spent any time there, you get a real sense as to just how dense, like how many people, people. are there. Right. Uh, and it just gives a whole nother level of compassion for that day. But again, just the resilience of of the people in New York, I got, I mean, my hat's off to those people, man. I, I loved in New York. I, I, like I said, I still got some great friends that are there. Um, that was, that was another high point. So, so crunch, which had been purchased by NFC, yep. um, some, some, uh, right around that, I think it's probably just previous to you, yep. to you going there. Right. Uh, it, they had had clubs sort of all over the place, all over the country. And it, some of the, like the major metropolitan areas, but yeah, Things were things were changed. Things had changed. Bally had actually. I was going to say Bally's Bally had owned them at one point. It was like the 
worst deal in the history of deals. I think they put, they paid like ninety million or something for the company and ended up selling mm. it like two or three years later for like nine million. Oh. <laughs> it was just it was yeah. because at that point like the clubs were tired, they were old, um, they had been. You know, they knew they were selling them. They sold them. Yep. Bally came in and probably took over. Their, Bally was trying to acquisition clubs because they couldn't. There was no way they were going to build them. Yep. You know, as fast as Crunch or uh, uh, like Twenty Four. I mean, all the other ones. Like, yeah. TSI was putting stuff up everywhere. Was, yep. You know, you'd, um, LA Sports Clubs was even moving, moving all over. The point of that was they bought these clubs and they. They couldn't really. It wasn't crunch anymore, right? Right. It was now Bally, and that the, the customer base knew that, yep. and they took advantage of that. And then, it, long story short, uh, NAFC had come in and, and purchased this company, and they were going to come at it from a little bit of a different model, right? So there was yep. going to be the company-owned model, and then there's going to be the franchise model. Yeah, the franchise, at least the 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 well-known kind of franchise piece of it came a few years later. I'm sure they were working on it early on, but there weren't as many crunch franchises as you might see now. You know, they were, you know, LA, San Francisco, New York, and Miami. And what I, what was interesting about crunch is it, the brand was way bigger than the company. Like everyone, even in places that didn't have a crunch had kind of heard of crunch. Maybe it was Carmen Electra and her pole dancing right. thing she did in right. West Hollywood or whatever oh, it was. All it was crazy shit. Yeah, yeah, it was. That's kind of what they were known for. And yeah. I'll tell you, that was my early, my early experience with Crunch there in New York. It was the first company, the first gym that wasn't trying to be like anybody else. Mm-hmm. They were like, hey, you know what? We're not for everybody. Like every other gym okay I had been that. at, yeah. yeah. Every other gym was like, how do we get everybody? everybody. Yeah. And Crunch was like, nah. You you wouldn't like it here. You probably wouldn't like it here. You'd love it here. You come on. Right. And it was and I, that was real refreshing to me. It was like, oh, okay. Like I never will forget my first day of work at Crunch. I'm walking to the the gym that I uh, was running was on uh, 59th Street on the east side. So kind of this, you know, little little north of Midtown, uh, but it's in kind of a corporate driven area. And I'm I open the front door of the gym, and uh, there's like a a condom on the ground, like still in a wrapper and everything. It has a crunch logo on it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I pick it up. I'm like, what the heck? And on the back of it, it says, enjoy the workout. And that was their one day passes. <laughs> and like, that was my introduction to, okay, this company is different. Right. And all I, all I knew up until that time for the most part was 24, which was a pretty PG, you know, kind of company, Honestly, safe to safe to yeah. say. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, Urban Active was along those same lines. Uh, so Crunch was like day one. It was like, all right, this is different. Yeah, it's so funny. I, my first day in the uh, – they had a club at Sunset and Crescent Heights and basically in, in Hollywood up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I walked into the lobby. It was for the big fitness manager meeting we were holding or hosting out of that that club. So fitness managers were kind of coming in from all over. And it had been their first experience too. It was right after – right after the purchase but when you walk into the lobby there i don't know if you ever went into that club oh yeah but they had the frosted glass so behind the behind the front desk were was the hallway to the locker room so you go all the way down the lock yes. to the to the end and then kind of circle back into the locker rooms but they had frosted glass on the outside of the shower yep. so you would go into the shower right so if you picture this for those listening you go into the you go into the locker room you'd go into a shower stall 
and the 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 wall to your right or left, whichever if you were on the yep. you were in the women's locker room, you were on the it would have been on your left side and so vice versa. But your your wall was frosted, so anybody walking down that hallway or into the lobby would see your the, silhouette, the silhouette, yep. silhouette shower. And I, that one, yep. that one got me right away. I mean, that was that was kind of a big deal. I was like, all right, yeah, this is a little bit different. But uh, yeah, it definitely had this that the 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 motto was no judgments. Yep. Um, but interestingly, is like if you had one. This wasn't the right place <laughs> this for wasn't you. the place for <laughs> it. Yeah. Right, right place for it. Yeah. yeah. Crunch was, uh, crunch was a good time, man. Crunch was a good time. Great people. Um, really enjoyed that. Were you being groomed at this point? Like, did they, did you know going out to New York and work in this particular facility that there were bigger things to come? Um, and if so, how was this set up for you? Yeah, I didn't know what it was, but, you know, Jim Rowley, I had mentioned the story earlier about, um, you know, our our VP of fitness saying, hey, if you're not spending, you know, a few hundred bucks to fly to Austin, figure out what's going on, you're missing it, right? That was Jim that said that. So Jim um, and I still communicate and just have a ton of respect for him and everything that he's done. But, you know, he and Mark and some of the other guys uh, that were involved, um, I didn't know exactly where the map went, but I knew, okay, they know what I can do. I know what they can do. If I just get on, we'll figure it out, you know, where it goes. So, um, going back into a club. Yeah. I, I knew that it was ultimately going to lead to, um, you know, growth, but I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure where. Yeah. So one of the things that you, um, you, I remember distinctly about you when I first met you is there was, there's, you read a lot. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of a lot of books, leadership, yeah. um, management, but also just kind of the stories of success that people have had along the way. Um, maybe you could share a few of those things because you, you know you, I don't you know I don't know you you're out of that mix for a while. You don't have that leadership there yeah. in front of you anymore. And I know that these guys have kind of turned you on to a lot of that stuff. But what are where where are you digging? Where are you digging for for inspiration or just for you know, to kind of keep your head on straight, but continue to develop. Cause you know, in a sense, like you said, like I'm taking a step back into a club and for a lot of people, they look at that as well. I'm taking a step down and this is a demotion or I'm moving backwards in my career. Yeah. And I imagine that opened up a lot of time and space for you to really develop yeah. yourself um, and your skill sets in other ways. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what you were doing there. Yeah. I, you know, I've always been uh, kind of wired as like, I've got this like ridiculous internal dialogue you know, I'm the guy growing up in Texas that I want to go for a run when it's 110 degrees outside because I'm telling myself while I'm doing it, hey, nobody else is doing it at 110, right? That kind of thing. So that was kind of some of the, one of the pulls to New York is saying, you know, okay, let me prove, let me see if if it can work up there or, you know, hey, that's a bigger market. Yeah, well, it's cool. That's cute. You can do it in Austin. Well, that don't work up here. Well, I want to, let's see if it works up there. So just that internal competitiveness has always kind of been there. Um, definitely more so uh, in business, but um, yeah, I think I've gone through these phases with reading where, you know, early on it was, you know, personal leadership and, you know, the book that probably changed my life, it's, you know, Stephen Covey's, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's just a classic, right? But, you know, I never will forget my brother giving me that book when I was probably headed in in a not so good direction at one point. Um, and him saying, you know, hey, read this book, read the first chapter. You don't like the rest of it. You don't have to read it anymore. Just 
you know, I think you'll like it. Uh, and that was his kind of olive branch. Shout out Scott Stonehouse. <laughs> uh, best dude alive. Uh, but anyway, so that, that hooked me a little bit. So the, you know, the personal development and the relational development and everything there, that's kind of, I think, where it started. And, you know, as cheesy as it is, man, I used to geek out over a lot of that Anthony Robbins stuff. And, you know, look, you say what you want about that guy. Right. Dude. That guy's on one all the time. All yeah. he, dude, he is all in, and I, I love anybody that's all in on whatever it is they do, man. No hesitation, they are there. So I, if that shit was legit, he wouldn't still be around. I know. he would have burned himself out, or somebody sure. would have burned him by now. The bottom line is, he's nobody's yeah. gonna knock that guy off that block. Well, and and these, you know. He works with a lot of smart, wealthy people. They got a pretty good nose for BS, yeah, right? Like yeah. it, it, he's not going to take, you know, he might take somebody on the street, but not, I mean, this guy knows what he's doing. So anyway, I, I had a run there where it was all personal development and business development. And I, I feel like I got to a point where I was like, all right, I'm kind of at max capacity with, you know, good to great and you know a hundred other really good valuable stuff it's just like they don't there's not enough notebooks for me to take more notes anymore i'm, I'm kind of there yeah that's interesting i mean i i find that same thing like these are their stories of success yeah right and the things that they do and it's all good none of it's it's all very very good but yep. it's not it's not my story it's not my journey yeah this doesn't this isn't specifically applicable to me i can take some of it and those are all valuable things yep. right so yeah, so that transitioned to this phase where I was, I I don't like audio books on stuff like Good to Great or Seven Habits, but if there's a biography and the person that's doing the audio, the 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 talking is that person, yeah. so it's like they're that's just me. telling you their story that's all me. day, yeah, that's me. all day, yeah, I love that stuff. Um, so I went through a phase where I was a lot of that stuff, just you know, Steve Martin, uh, Bill Clinton you know, Giuliani, you know, just anybody that's got just a very intriguing, you know, while I was in New York, I listened to one with Giuliani and, you know, say what you want about him, but I'll, I'll just tell a quick story that just really intrigued me. So he's, he's got this daunting task when he takes over New York, right? Because it was, it, it wasn't it was a in mess. a great spot. It yeah. was a mess. wasn't in a great spot. So one of the things that he did is, you know, he said, Hey, we got to start attacking like panhandling uh, on these bridges, like on the, the lights by these bridges, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge and all that. And people were like, that's like petty crime. Why are we going to do that? And he was like, that's the first and last impression that these people have of our city. When they're coming and they're going, that's the last thing. So there are little nuggets like that yeah. that I would always get out of some of them and I'd write it down and I'd find myself talking about, you know, that in a trainer meeting one day or right. – some movie line that I'm, you know, <laughs> quoting or something like that. But yeah, that was, it phased from business to like, man, there's just some really interesting people out there. And, you know, if you, you take one or two things from hearing somebody's story, you know, it can stay with you. Yeah. That, going back to Giuliani, I, I had, um, I'd listened to a podcast. It wasn't too long ago with the police chief or the chief of police, or commissioner, excuse me, commissioner, police department that was there during 9-11 who had just been brought on just prior to that with Giuliani and the story of 
of leadership within that city during that time. And it speaks actually to all the things that you just said about thinking about the little things that, yeah. you, you know, that you wouldn't typically think of, but also more specifically about how the people of that city came together. Right. And, and it was, you know, and it was people, you know, from one side to the other and yeah. people coming in and the resiliency and the, the, the focus that they had to get things back online and, and straight again. And once they felt that the momentum and how that carried them yeah. uh, through to the next thing, because they, they wanted to trust, right. Rather, rather than wanted to divide really good podcast. I think it was, um, I think it was the Sean Ryan show. If anybody wants to listen to it, it's the Sean Ryan. So it's, it's excellent. I, and I can't remember Sean that guy's. I can't remember that guy's <laughs> name. But uh, the the, cool, the last cool thing about New York is not the last cool thing about New York. But on that point, you know, something I a point of pride I always took from being from Texas is I would always say, you know, look, somebody's from Miami, they're going to say I'm from Miami, right? Somebody's from LA, they're going to say I'm from LA. If somebody's from Dallas, they're going to say I'm from Texas. Somebody's from Austin. They're going to say, I'm from Texas. It's like this right. state pride thing. New York's the only other place I've been that's like that. Like, it's New York or it's not. <laughs> and if it's not, who cares about it? Yeah, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? It yeah. doesn't matter. It's either New York or it's not. So I like I like places where people like being from there. Yeah, they're proud. Yeah. Yeah, they're just proud. And there's a lineage there. And my grandfather was from here and his yeah. mom moved. You know, they came here, you know, at whatever point. And, the, yep. and they know. They know how... That history is important. It's very yeah. important. Yeah. And then, you know, and people will look at that as well. Yeah, that divides the city because you have, you know, that these different boroughs and different, you know, neighborhoods and, you know, Brooklyn and the Bronx and Spanish Harlem, you know, all these different things. Yeah. But no, that's culture. And that, that there's this culture. There's, there's, there's a history there. And people are very proud of that history. And yes, that creates amigo. And yes, that maybe means people bump heads. But that's, it's, it all, it's rooted in that pride. Yeah. That pride. I, I did get that when I was there too, and it, it's it's certainly stuck stuck with me as little times I spent there. So you're you're, you're working with these dudes. Um, let's let's flash forward. So yeah. So you you took over a couple of different tough different roles of them to start as fitness manager, and it moves into to what? Uh, it moves into an opportunity um, out here in Southern California. That's what uh, eventually I got your two different spent time at two different uh, locations there in New York. And then the opportunity to come to Southern California and be a part of UFC gym in the very, very early days um, was not something I had to think about long. Right. My wife's family, she has a lot of family out here and they have a business uh, as well. And, you know, we knew that, you know, we, we had uh, Sydney, my daughter at the time, we didn't, my son wasn't born yet, but we knew that, you know, raising kids in the city probably wasn't going to be what we were going to do. If we were going to stay in New York, it would be, you know, Jersey or something like that. This opportunity came up and we were like, Hey, this is, this is right. So out here with UFC and immediately move into a role where you're, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, 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 National fitness director? Is that yeah, what you're that's doing? kind of where it, it that was. Uh, the the know, company's had, growing really fast. Yeah, right? they only had two two or three locations at the time. So, you know, VP of fitness was the position that I held for the longest time there. But, you know, you don't need a VP over three locations, two and a half locations. So it was one of those things that that's where it started. It was a multi-unit role, but the company was young. Um, and, you know, just another highlight of my career for sure. Yeah, the company grew though with, with, while you were there. I mean, yeah, it started with two and a half locations. Yep. But 
how long? I mean, how many do they have before you yeah. ultimately move to Stride? 18, uh, 18 corporately owned and operated locations, and then, you know, whatever, 80, 90, 100 uh, franchises. Yeah, so, I mean, that, there's a lot there, and you're involved in decision-making processes yep. and, and kind of seeing the company grow. Definitely. What great insight to, you know, growing a company from the ground up in, a, in the brand and expanding the brand. Yeah. Uh, and, again, back with, you know, some really sharp – people i imagine Uh, well yeah that you know the opportunity when i went to new york and you know mark and jim and the nev guys were part of that group you know this this opportunity came from them it was another nev company so even though i was the the brand on my shirt was changing it didn't feel like i was really changing jobs because it was the same leadership and you're in your back to coaching fitness managers right 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 and growing personal training businesses through through fitness managers yep but but UFC wasn't just about personal training. There were so there's so many moving pieces to that operation. When you go in there, there's the group fitness, there's the jujitsu, there's the group exercise, yeah. there's so many things that that are going on in there. So it's kind of jumping from the frying pan into the fire. But at the same time, what a what a great opportunity to do it one club at a time. Yeah, you know, over how many years? Uh, nine. Yeah, nine that's years. That's, yeah. that's a long time anywhere. Well, and just, you know, kind of, I think one of the things I didn't talk about it early on, but it, it applied even with this move. One of the coolest things about, you know, you've heard me talk about, you know, being at whatever, five or six different locations as a one club leader and then a couple of different markets as a multi-unit leader. Like people like to ask questions a lot. Of, oh, if you had to do it over again, what, what would, would you, you do, do different? Yeah. Like, I don't know a lot of other industries where like you get a lot of do-overs. That's true. Like, you know, I'll be a fitness manager for a year and a half. Oh, they're opening a new club across town. Okay, I get a clean slate. Okay, I get to do it over. So by the time you're at your fourth or fifth location, like if you're still making those mistakes, it's like you got to go do something else. It's the wrong job. But like how many many other jobs, I mean, even in the time that we've been talking, I mean, I've talked about seven or eight different restarts or resets that, you know, kind of hit there. uh, And you just don't get, you don't get that too many places. Yeah, I mean, and, and that speaks to the uh, with the restarts and the different experiences that you that you you have had. That just puts you in such a great position to be able to to talk about all the different move in in and out parts of of I guess structuring the business. Yeah, and and, and taking what works best and in, in, in those best pieces and but and but also understanding what it means to work for different brands and kind of taking on the. Uh, the ethos of whatever that brand is, definitely. But also understanding that the the structure of what we're doing here doesn't really doesn't really change. It's crazy, but you're right. Yeah, it's still the mechanical side of it. It's still about the people and how do we get them involved. And you know that part has changed a little bit because there was a phase where it was like, okay, you you know, trainers are trying to puke everybody to you know right. show them how good they are or whatever. And you know, there's these weird kind of flows through just the fitness industry, but you know, you're right. The, you know, the DNA of what we're trying to do, Hey, we're trying to help people live a better lifestyle with make better decisions. You know, I talked about people not making great decisions, trying to, you know, you're trying to put people in a position, first of all, where there's fewer decisions to be made because they've proven they don't make good ones and then teach them how to make better decisions. Yeah. yeah, I love that. You just want to put them in a position to win, you know, and then ultimately they have to make that decision, but it's like giving them the playbook and, and, and being there on the sideline to coach them, coach them down the field, but right. you, you still got to execute the play. In executing the play and executing as an operator, I mean, you're 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 you've always been one of the strongest operators I've ever known. 
Thanks. Um, and that and that was one of the I always looked to kind of the the way you handled things and and um, the impact that you've made on people. This is interesting. So we've now been through multiple brands. We've yeah. just talked about all the brands that you've been through, and there's still more to talk about there. The impact on the people that you made in those through those brands continues to come up. So I mean, you were even at like you just, I think you just said it, you were at UFC for nine years. I mean, even at Red Dot, we've been cross pollinated with the impact that you've had on certain players. Um, I get visits from people that have have crossed paths with Stonehouse as a leader uh, at somewhere in their career. Everybody knows Stonehouse. <laughs> or I think the last one I, I got was, of course you know Stonehouse. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, it is yeah. awesome. And, and never, never has there been anything but positive, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, as long as it's not like our roles and being like, that, that jerk, where's he at? You know, whatever, no, it, and I think it's, as a leader and, and also as a guy who's had that experience who just wants to help people yeah. and put people people in a position to win, you know, go back to whether it's a client standing in front of your fitness manager or your area fitness director or whatever else. I mean, it wasn't just there. You reached outside. I mean, so many conversations, how many conversations we have working for different brands, whether that be, you know, whether it be working for different brands or just working, you know, my own brand and you, wherever you were at calling up, go, Hey man, what's going on? What's going on Stonehouse? And and you asking, Hey, so we're opening a new club or I've I've got a guy who's looking for some talent. I know you used to run this market out there, you know, and, and vice versa, or somebody calling me from a different company and going, Hey Scott, you know, I know, you know, I haven't talked to you for a while, but I'm looking, we're opening this new, you know, market in Alabama. Right. Um, you know, or wherever, uh, if you know anybody out there that may be able to take a fitness director role or general manager role, no, but I bet Stonehouse does. <laughs> and then reaching out and going, hey, man, would you mind maybe having a conversation with this guy and always being willing to do that, but also being in a position to do it. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I think anybody that knows you knows that you're that guy. Like, if you need some help, just call Stonehouse because he probably knows somebody. I appreciate yeah. that. And that, I mean, that's, at the end of the day, those are the things that carry the most weight, right? I mean, you're going to, as many times as I've moved, you know, you're going to lose trophies and, you know, things like that, man, those relationships, things like Ursa, you know, we talked about seeing each other at Ursa, you know, walking through that floor and just seeing people that look familiar and, you know, a smile and a hug or whatever it is, man, that's, that's worth more than anything. I mean, that's what Ursa is, Ursa is for now, as yep. far as I'm concerned, you just go back, you, you go there to see your friends yeah. and, because hey. it's such, I mean, everybody says it, but like the, it's such a small. Oh, it's incestuous. Like it is. I mean, <laughs> like I've never understood the like somebody going, somebody leaving a company like, like guns blazing. I'm like, you realize, unless you're gonna go sell real estate or right. something like that, like you're gonna see that guy again, one way or another, man. Yeah. yeah. Just fist bump. Hey, man. Sorry, I wasn't better uh, than I was this time. Maybe next time. I think it's like, it's almost like being on a pro sports team or whatever. You know, you get traded, you go out again. Yeah. Guns blazing or, yeah. or talking shit. There's a solid chance you're, you're going to be, forget you're going to be it. playing with that same, those same guys in the locker room yep. or coaching guys that are, you know, or yeah. with guys in, the, in that same or whatever, whatever team you're on, whatever you're doing. I think it's, it, I don't know that there's another interest, industry that, that is so tight knit where there is so right. much crossover and with as much innovation uh and i guess maturity that exists within the the industry now it's inevitable you're you're gonna as you you, as you've said and and the the cream always rises to the to the top those those people are are always going to 
or be in those leadership roles. And that can be a really good thing, as we just talked about. You know, again, cross-pollinating businesses or reaching out, trying, to, or it can be a really bad thing. Yeah. And that you can alienate yourself pretty quickly. And there are companies out there that really do have the leftovers as a result of for sure taking what's left at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Um. It it and but that was never the trajectory for you. And speaking of brands, now you moved on to a brand which is just really interesting. Brand, uh, exponential, and exponential is like the brand that owns multiple brands. Yeah. Um, I don't know. NFC does, does that as well, you know, with crunch and, and, uh, and UFC and there's some sports clubs in there and things like that. I'd there probably, were probably yeah. leaving a couple out, but now working for Ex- exponential. Yeah. I mean, how many brands do they have now? Is it eight? Uh, they have nine brands, nine now. brands. Yeah. So, I mean, just run down there. There's, there's the, there's a uh, club Pilates. Club Pilates. That's the one I always forget. Yoga yeah. six yep. row house. AKT, Stretch Lab, Pure Bar, Cycle Bar, Stride, Rumble, and Body Fitness Training or BFT. So, so 10. 10 brands yeah. now. The yeah. BFT one's brand, BFT's brand new, brand new which yep. is significant in, in this conversation because you're part of that now. But yep. So the, just this company structure and kind of talking to it, you've got Exponential, which again has all these brands. But my understanding is, is each brand is structured as its own brand. It is. From the top to the bottom. Yep. So from brand president, you know, support pieces in there, you know, whatever, sales leader, director of education, marketing lead, uh, finance lead. Yeah, they all kind of stand alone. They, we, we share a lot of best practices, obviously. That would but, make sense. Uh, uh, but yeah. But that's interesting. Uh, in my, my career, like we had several brands that had glommed together. I mean, Bally had sports clubs and they had. Uh, Gorilla something yeah, or something had, like uh, that. For well, a while, like right? again, they'd gone through and they had acquired a bunch of brands. Right. Like they brought up, yes, they brought up Pinnacle. They brought up Gorilla, which was kind of a boxing, you know. Yeah kind of crossover type thing they had purchased again crunch was in there and then they had picked up other clubs that belonged to like one-offs or two-off clubs that had kind of you know they had sold out or whatever so we had all these different kind of brands within one brand we were trying to run it as one brand right um but there were these were very different markets i mean even when i moved to northern california there had been four different brands there and i just mentioned a few huh. of them uh, prior to my arrival and each one of those clubs was being run a little bit differently had a little bit different wow. pricing cuz and the built was built a little bit uh, in a different way again there was all different kind of footprints and yeah. you're you as a director of whatever whether that be you know, group exercise or operations or retail, everything was different. Like you had these, these different structures that you had to to adjust to that made things difficult uh, in terms of, I mean, the best practice of, of customer service or your checklist of things you needed to do. Ah, those might remain the same, but the feel, the approach, um, right on down to the presentation, you know, of, of, of whatever it was, programs, pricing, whatever was, was different. So now you work for a brand that's, you know, Again, sharing best practices, but each one of those brands delivers something very specific, which yep. is unique in and of its in and of itself. Yep. In that essentially what they what it looks like from the outside is well, you just took what like a big box gym would be offering, right? And all the different things that they have available and you just went, Well, we'll take the cycling out of there, we'll take the Pilates out of there, we'll take the this stretch or recovery piece out of there, we'll take the yoga piece out of there, and we're just gonna we're just going to build this. Well, you, these big boxes at the same time. They were trying to build studios within their gym. Yep. 
So it was kind of the reverse engineering approach. Well, we're just going to take it all out of there and screw the big box thing. We'll just do it one at a time and we'll, we'll thrive that way. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious how that all works out. Like, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, I can tell you right now, what I see is those brands popping up everywhere. Yeah. And these are franchises, correct? They are. So maybe you can kind of work, work through the model for us and yeah. maybe help me understand a little bit more how it all works. Yeah, they are franchises. Uh, and as we said, they all kind of operate independently, but obviously you've got some brother and sister brands that you can share best practices with and everything. And every brand seems to have been at a different point in their life cycle when Expo acquired them as well, right? You've got some brands that had four or 500 locations when Expo bought them, as to where others have 100, as to where Stride had one location, you know, when they bought them. So there's a really different kind of paths and, and you know, levels of maturity to each brand, uh, which I'm sure goes into kind of some of the higher level decisions tied to who's running the different brands and kind of what they're going to be tasked to do as the president. Um, and as the, you know, kind of leader of education for, you know, Stride and, and now BFT, you know, my responsibilities are a little bit more in the programming end of things, which is a change for me, I right? Say, yeah. I mean, two, two layers of change. First of all, just the franchise space in general is unique because I'm used to, you know, recruit, hire, train, develop, and building teams and all of that. There's a little different feel there because you have coaches and, um, you know, you certainly get time with those folks and you have connection points with them, but ultimately they're not, they're not your employee. Right. They're that franchisee's employee, uh, which gives it a little bit of a, of a different feel. Uh, and they're smaller teams too. You know, studios are going to have, you know, five or six coaches per studio as to where like, you know, a big UFC gym is going to have 40 or 50 coaches of, of different disciplines and all that. So there, there are some logistical differences there. Um, but then also for me, you know, we didn't kind of touch on it, but like in 2009, when I was in New York, I became a, a master instructor with TRX. So I would teach, you know, suspension and, and rip training courses. Um, so education's always kind of been like a side hustle for me, even though it was tied to the brands that I was with. Um, I always enjoyed the weekends where I would get to go teach a suspension trainer cert or a kettlebell cert or something like that. So this was kind of my first professional opportunity to be pure education. education. So I I don't have a, a goal every month yeah, that this I'm is different man real different there's no there's no closeouts or any of that kind of stuff that I'm you know used to for 20 plus years yeah so who are you accountable to are you accountable to you know the the director or the president of um, of stride and now BFT are you are you accountable to the franchise owner uh, the group of franchise owners how, how does that work yeah, good because question. because it and, and what's being measured you yeah. know, what, how do you measure your success and, and so forth? Because this is way different. In the past, it's like you're either profitable or you're not profitable. Right. And there's a lot of things that go into that. Yep. Right? You mentioned a few of them earlier in the talk here. But what? who are you talking to? Like who's who, who are you reporting to? How yep. does this all come down in the end? Yeah, so the corporate teams at each studio, you know, they'll vary in size depending on the brand. But Stride, for example, is a, a very small brand uh, because, as I said, they had one location when Expo acquired them. So you've got a president, you've got, you know, a marketing leader, a sales leader, an education leader, uh, you know, graphic artist that's kind of shared between brands. So you got four or five people, you know, total 
on that whole team. So we're all pretty close together. We connect quite a bit and lean on each other. Uh, and then as the, you know, locations move through site selection and construction, pre-sale, you know, I will then play a role in some of the recruiting, but then in the coach training, I had to create the coach training uh, system as a whole and then delivering that coach training at some point will outgrow you know, my ability to be able to do all those. But as of right now, I'm still teaching all of mm -hmm. those. So I'll go out to a particular location before it opens and I'll do that coach training. And, you know, uh, I would expect that the same, you know, kind of rhythm would exist with, uh, uh, with BFT, uh, as we kind of start in the U S here, you know, they're, they're mainly based in, uh, Australia and Singapore and New Zealand. Got one location in, in Santa Monica, one in, uh, um, uh, Fort Lauderdale. So there's only two in the U.S. So we'll really focus on U.S. and Canada and growing that out. So. Yeah. So there's a couple specifics here. One, like this is stride is is a is a the workouts are primarily done on a treadmill. Treadmill. Right? Yep. And so you've got a footprint, whatever that is, whatever the ideal footprint is for the studio size. Yep. X amount of treadmills that go in there. These yep. treadmills are a smaller footprint. They're also correct me if I'm wrong, but they're you're using like a curve type type. We're type. using woodways, but not the Wood, curve. Woodways. The forefront. Yeah. yeah. So it looks like a kidney bean shaped, you know, kind the of. The curves do. The right. forefronts don't. They're flat and they're motorized gotcha. and everything as well. The curves are uh, gotcha. are manual, but uh, yeah. So I go to class, right? I'm in there for about an hour yeah. and I'm being taken through. I'm being led through a group sort of running yep. slash treadmill session. Yeah. Right. It's a treadmill workout. You know what? Most people, they will immediately associate, oh, running for 50 minutes, 55 minutes. I, I couldn't do that. The The most popular class we have is called a combo class. And just like it sounds, it's kind of strength training and tread time. Um, and it's probably 60% of our class schedule. So, you know, the, the early impressions or sticker shock of, you know, man, I'm just going to be running the whole time. It's not, uh, you know, that it, it's more than that for sure. So the franchise fitness model is nothing is not new, right? right. It's been around for a long time, but I, I can tell you it's obviously it's, it's gone like gangbusters in the last, let's say, 10 years. For sure. Uh, I mean, you've got things like F45, Orange Theory, which, you know, was, you know, just kind of skyrocketed. Yeah. Right? Now you've got the exponential brand. So, you know, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to live in sort of a major metropolitan area and not have come across a couple of those those, yep. those brands within there. Now, my experience with the franchise model has been varied. Uh, let's just say diverse and talking with owners and consumers that have you know, been part of these things. Yeah. And it's interesting how they kind of get started and where the ownership comes from and their yes. knowledge of what they're getting into. So I want to, I want to know from you, I mean, you're coming into this, you're coming to this. So basically I've got an investor who wants, you know, who thinks this might be a good idea. So I come up with a sum of money, let's call it a hundred K, which is like my buy-in to the franchise, right? Okay. I'm bought into the franchise, whatever that is. Again, it could be any number of things, but let's just stick to, to this one. Sure. And so now what that does is essentially gives me rights to have, you know, a, a studio and I'm being provided some type of a playbook for right? sure. And some type of resources for marketing or at least options. If I choose to do my own, I could do my own, but these are the things you want to do to be successful. Yep. It's sort of being laid out for me and it's being laid out for me in, in, in some kind of a format. Maybe I've been invited to listen to the kind of the presentation, yeah, almost. And this, correct if I'm wrong, it's almost kind of like a timeshare type deal where okay. I sit down in a group of I sit down with a group of maybe other investors or at a table with somebody else, kind of like this 
multi-level, you know, yeah. kind of sales thing. And I sit yeah. and I listen to the pitch. Okay. And then I decide whether or not I want to be involved. Like I said, I put down my money. And that gives me ownership rights, right? And then I might be on the hook to open a minimum of two more studios over a, a period of time, right? Over two or three years or whatever. Okay. Let's call it five years. So I'm a person that may just have zero clue about the fitness industry. Right. I have no idea about this, but <laughs> sure. this looks like a pretty good deal. I like running. Yeah. Right. I like working out. I know my friends like running, you yeah. know, like the stride thing seems pretty cool. I really love the workouts. Yeah. Like I, I've been to this, you know, this, this, this studio in X city when I was on vacation. I really yeah. like, I think this could really this be. Coach Steve was great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I got an sure. extra hundred grand. Like I see how, how tough can this be? Yeah. You know, like the decision I, makes itself. And really I can, does. yeah. And I can, make, and I can make X amount of dollars just by owning this studio. So I just have to have a manager, right. And some instructors and they're going to have fun because they're going to make some money how hard can it be how hard can it be what's the reality of that shit yeah because i gotta tell you i've run into a lot i know people that they make a lot of money rescuing these franchise owners yeah. from the decisions that they've made so yeah and i'm not saying it's a bad one i'm just saying they may have done it not completely informed yeah or under within the right mindset of this is not you know this is not opening like a, a you know a franchise yogurt or ice cream type right, shop. Right. Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot uh, there's a lot there. In, in my experience, and I got to believe with all the franchise options there are out there in fitness now, I'm sure there are uh, a lot of um, less than transparent uh, presentations, you know, uh, in my experience, um, at least with Expo, and I think that's one of the reasons why they have a good name out there. I think they do a pretty good job at, at vetting who the people are that even get to hear uh, the presentations. And then the presentations are diverse and thorough enough that they're getting, they're not getting one person telling that story. You're going to get a, you know, a piece, the, you know, education guy's going to come in and talk about how he's going to support you with recruiting and, you know, training and development, your coaches, the sales guy's going to come in and talk to you about how they're going to help with, you know, driving leads appointments and shows and all those kinds of things. So I, at least in my experience, the, the presentations are pretty thorough, but to your point, the, the whole, how hard can it be, uh, is a very common misconception. Um, because but yeah, cause I, I, I got into my wealth because I run these other businesses over here. Yeah. And I'm very successful at it. Hundred percent. How right. hard can it be? How hard can it be? Yeah, right? I could certainly run a gym. You know what right. I'm saying? I mean, I think. Look, I've been doing this for 22 years, and you know, my mom still asks me how many appointments I have today because she thinks I'm a personal trainer, right? So <laughs> I think a lot of people just professionally don't understand kind of the space, no, the don't. fitness space, no. right? So they yeah. always ask me, like, if you tell me you're a personal trainer, they always say, okay, well. What's your real job? Yeah. They're yeah. still asking that. Yeah. So what, do you, what else sure. do you do? I remember the first day, the first class I ever offered at Red Dot, <laughs> you know, I, I started bringing these ladies in or whatever, and they were, I was getting this, I had this little great referral business in, and this lady comes in, and she's lacing up. She goes, oh, this is such a great spot you got here. So what, what's your other job? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Lady, this is how I put food this on my it. table. This so. is it. Yeah. This is it, man. Um, yeah, so I, I think, uh, you know, I think, there's a lot of misconception on how hard it can be because I think the thought is, hey, you some weights and you put some treadmills in there and yep. some people to coach the class and you're good. Uh, and on multiple levels, there's an underestimation there. Well, so, and the consumer feels that kind of right away when they come into sure. an environment like because you got some franchises that are run very, very, very well. And yep. it all starts with 
the leadership that's in there, hundred percent, and so forth. But the the consumer will will have that experience, that poor experience. Yep. If that attitude was, how yeah. tough can this be? That is for sure. Yeah, you know, th- that's a unique thing about the fitness industry too. I guess there's a few different you know bullet points on that unique things with the fitness industry. But it even twenty years ago, it still applies now. That you know, if some idiot doesn't show up on time for class. The whole thing falls It's apart. a black eye on all of us, yeah. though. It's not just, oh, that one studio on First Street, you know, is bad. It's like gyms, are, gyms suck. Coaches can't get to work on time. Like, it's, it's a shadow on all of us. It really, really sucks. Um, that part of it does, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've all kind of worked so hard to kind of upgrade that. Yeah. yeah upgrade the talent and lay the expectations on you know extra thick and hey here's what you got to do and and all that but yeah I, I think you're right i think they feel it immediately when it's bad and they feel it immediately when, when it's, it's really good yeah I agree. that's why the good ones you know they got a line around the block of people wanting to work out there and the turnover's low and the owner's making a lot of money and right. you know they they got it they're pumping the box full yeah. of people so as you're i mean a lot's happened in this last couple of years. And yeah. you, you took this job, you know, yep. going really just kind of going into that. You'd been in it for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, maybe a year. I think it was exactly a year, wasn't it? Before we got into the the whole COVID situation. Yeah. Uh, September of 19. Yep. So less than that, really. Because yeah. when was it? Like March of 20? Exactly. When things shut down? Yeah. So, yeah, six months. So, I mean, what, franchise owners are probably freaking freaking yeah. out, right? Here's the unique thing with Stride with COVID. So one of the things of all the Expo brands, we were fortunate that we were the smallest. That's probably one of the few times that it worked in our favor. And it just so happens that, you know, our kind of core discipline of running translates very easily to outside. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I know a lot of people got crushed and I'm sensitive to all that. If again, just being lucky, you know, we were just in the right place at the right time. And and considering all the other stories you hear, we, we were able to manage it pretty well. That's good. Yeah. We only had, you know, we had just opened our second location. We had the original location uh, in Pasadena and a location in uh, Tustin that had just opened in February of 20 uh, and then everything shut down. So we weren't really having to, you know, I was uh, talked to a lot of my partners that worked with other brands that they're just spending, you know, 25 hours a day, just trying to put people back together. Yep. And, uh, fortunately we didn't have that. So what does that mean in terms of translating to outside? Does that just mean you were able to offer workouts outside, you know, yeah, some group, outdoor programming, group? 5k programs, 10k programs, half marathon, mar- you know, just that outdoor programming. We did some virtual 5ks. We had some fun with some of that. So yeah, we just did find it in a way. Yeah. And, which is another, another bullet point on the fitness industry, you know, unique things, but impressive things. What I've always loved is, man, this is the most adaptable group of people I've ever seen. Just find a way, right? But I I find that even when they go do, I don't know if you've found this too, but if you've known anybody from fitness that goes into a completely different industry, they crush it. They crush it. it. Yes. That's been a point of pride for me too, is like, hey, if you can be good at this, you will crush anything. I, I tell you, guys that came through places like Bally in my early days or even 24-hour in your early days that yeah. are out on doing something else now, whether it's real estate, whether it's Killing finance, it. what, yep. whether it's a, another business altogether. <laughs> yes. No, they're they're 
crushing it. They're I love thriving. it. Yeah. And they were thriving then too. And again, it just, it is about. They'll be that. the first ones to tell you though, man, it's because that work ethic I got from you, or it's because of that, you know, that fit grid you showed me how to do, man, that thing transferred to this or, you know, something that they took from you that, I mean, those are the things that you take with you and you're like, man, that makes it, that's why I'm glad I came in early and stayed late because that one day that dude had a 6am session that no showed and we spent 30 minutes going over sales stuff and it changed, changed his my life. life. Yep. Yeah. It, you're right about that. And, and they, they always, those same people, are the ones that always look back to find the good stuff too, yep. you know, because on any given, any given day you're grinding, you're going to get hit in the head with some stuff that ain't so cool, but yep. they always look back and go, man, this was so positive. And there was, there were so many of these things or this particular situation that came up and man, it just, you know, at the time it seemed like the end of the world. And now, yeah, you know, yeah, we just, I can cruise right through it because of, again, that 30 minutes you gave me or, or so forth. But I, so you got these franchise owners, you got, you got franchise. How many, how many strides are there right now? Nine open now. Yeah. We've got like 78, 79 territories sold so far, but nine are actually open and operating. Yeah. So that's a big thing to talk about. So you mentioned, you know, when some of these brands were purchased or acquisitioned, there were 500 of them you yep. know, to start. That's a way different thing than growing from nine to add the 75 or yep. whatever. So now we're at 84. That that's what the big push has been over these last couple of years is get the brand out there, get it going, figure it out, find some markets and then go out and continue to open more. So yeah, you've got 75 on the list to be opened. Right. By when? I mean, is this coming in waves and sections or? Yeah, it kind of varies because some of them are second and third or maybe even fourth locations of a current owner. Um, And then some of them are kind of onesies in a, you know, a different market or something like that. So it all kind of depends. So how does that, how does, what does that mean for you in terms of scaling up the things that you do and and how you're going to have to do them in the next, you know, in the next 12 months to 48 months. Yep. I think the things that change for me um, specifically are just, you know, identifying what that threshold is. Uh, now with uh, the additional responsibility of BFT is saying, hey, okay, Steve can't be everywhere. You know, at what point does a master trainer with Stride come on, master trainer with BFT? You know, I believe there are two already in place there. So just, I think, you know, we as fitness professionals, we try and kind of take on, oh, I I got it. I got it. I got it. Right. So just, you know, understanding where that threshold is and, you know, not being afraid to put the support pieces in place and, you know, whenever that time is. Yeah. So, so what, what I'm hearing, and there's other brands that have done this too, you know, the one that you previously worked for, I know UFC has got a ton of new, new club opportunities and they're looking, they're global as well. Yep. What that means is opportunity. Right? There's, 100%. there's tons of opportunity out there for aspiring coaches or business owners that maybe want to want to go work for a franchise for a while before opening their own. More, or more than there ever has it, been. Exactly. It's yep. just kind of sitting there. It's this untapped gold mine at this particular point. So if I'm a if I'm an aspiring coach or somebody that wants to kind of get on the ground level and be a part of this, or it, and or if I'm somebody that thinks they might want to get into kind of franchise operation like this in one of these types of brands, because I'm really passionate about yoga and yeah. you know, yoga six things looks good or whatever, and specifically it's stride and BFT for you, which, what are the things I can be doing right now as a young professional or an aspiring, you know, young, just in terms of my maturity in the business? Yeah. What are the things I could be doing now to put myself in a position to win, you know, um, at one or more of these opportunities? Yeah. 
Um, if I am a fitness professional trying to figure out where this path leads me, uh, there are a few things that I would recommend they uh, try and identify internally, right? One is, you know, hey, do I prefer one-on-ones or group? You know, that's a big delineation. Ideally, you'd be good at both. both right. uh, but, you know, one-on-one training is kind of on life support right now. Uh, it's always going to be there, but it used to be, hey, that was 80% of everybody, and then it was a little bit of group, and it just, there's a hundred reasons why so many more people are group training. Not not only the consumers, but there's the equally a hundred for the coach too, right? right. So I, I think, you know, identifying which one of those environments you feel more comfortable with and, you know, upskilling if you can, if if you don't feel super comfortable in groups, I would work on that. Toastmasters or whatever, <laughs> whatever you got to do to get comfortable public speaking and being in groups, I think you got to do that. Um, you know, I think it's possible. I, I personally struggled early on with sales, um, you know, as a trainer. And one of the things I've enjoyed teaching a lot through my career is sales, as ironic as that is, because I think I, I just found a way to sell when I was a, a trainer and a fitness manager that didn't feel overly salesy. And it has, has worked for um, other coaches and fitness managers as well. But I, I would, I would probably not target um, a bunch of sales books you know, I think there's value in those, but I think most trainers that are buying a sales book to try and get better at sales, they're still kind of hacking at the leaves. They're not, I mean, because internally they don't want to be reading that book, right? They want to be better at sales, but they just need to be a better communicator. So I just finished a, a great book uh, called Never Split the Difference by a guy named Chris Voss. He was a... Uh, uh, hostage negotiator for uh, the FBI. Yeah, I know this guy. Yep. So he's got a master's class uh, thing as well. Mm -hmm. it, it, he is incredible. And what I've found is just, you know, even in sales training with trainers, and like when you help people be better, you're just helping them be better communicators. If I can just be confident in what I'm talking about, yeah, it's probably going to help me with sales, but it's also going to help me when I got you know, three toasters for my, you know, wedding registry and I'm at Target and the lady's telling me she can't take it back because I don't have a receipt. <laughs> I'm going to overcome those objections. I'm going to, you know what I'm saying? I'm just going to be so much more confident in that. So I would, I would not try and actively, I've got to be better at sales because I think there's just a internal struggle that's going to prevent them from, from really growing there. And I would say, man, Never split the difference or whatever other communication approach you can do to just become better at communicating, get better in groups. And, you know, at that point, you're kind of sky's the limit. You could, if you, there, there are enough small locations, small studios that if that's a, an environment you feel more comfortable in, you can do that. There's still plenty of big box gyms, 24s and goals that need fitness managers and ultimately multi-unit managers, those, those lines of you know, profession are still there as well. So I think that, you know, it's just, I guess this goes for the owners as well. And I think it's just, you got to know what get, you're getting yourself into. You got to take some reps. Yeah. yeah. You got to know what you're getting yourself into. If, if you're an owner and you made a ton of money uh, selling medical supplies, just, just know that, Hey, the workouts are cool. 
Okay. And we're going to have coaches and we're going to have coach training and all that, but the workouts can be as cool as they want. If you got, you know, five people on a treadmill, you got 25 treadmills in a studio. If you don't have enough members, it's just not going to get there. So you got to, again, you got to confront the brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. Uh, what is that? Stockdale paradox yeah, yeah, yeah. while maintaining unwavering faith right. that you can and will win in the end. Yeah. You got to go into it with an open mind going to, I'm going to have to be a salesperson. I'm going to have to hand out flyers or I'm going to have to, you know, set show clothes or whatever little, you know, expression you want to use. I'm going to have to drive the business or else I need to get a GM that is very good at that. And if I'm going to be an absentee owner, that's totally cool too. People can, people can win that way too. You just got to empower that GM and you got to make sure that GM's doing the right activities and all that. But I think, you know, now more so than ever, you got big boxes, small boxes, you got leadership opportunities. You want to be a lifetime personal trainer. You can do that groups, privates. You know, I think there was this big fear when COVID first hit and everybody's buying home workout equipment the gym business is never going to recover. You know, it's like they could have worked out at home six months ago. Right. They don't right. want to. Okay. So all this stuff they're buying now, they're going to sell it next yeah, year. Yeah. I mean, there were record numbers being set for like sure. clubs, be, you know, the, this last part of this year, you yeah. know, with regard to people membering back up. I mean, it, it's too soon to tell, you know, because a lot of that was recovery, you know, getting people back totally. in because we canceled memberships and so forth. So you have to, you're going to get people to resign. But I mean, we're still only 20% of this nation has a gym right. membership and a small fraction of that actually uses it. So, yeah. I mean, there is all that, oppor- all, all that opportunity out there. But to your point, yeah. Okay, so you got a garage gym. You know, what's going on with that? Now you were motivated and things went well, you know, there for a few months. But yeah. is it is it enough to get you to the finish line? And often the, the, the answer to that is it probably is, but are you going to, yeah. Are you going to utilize it to get you to the finish line? Yeah, you know, I, I knew a guy once that worked at a like a sleep deprivation clinic, and he said one of the things they would tell people when people are having trouble sleeping is they would say, you know, hey, first thing you got to do is you got to move everything out of your bedroom except your bed, right? No TVs, don't get dressed in there. Don't. Your body has to know when you go in that room, it's for one reason, and it's to go to sleep. I think there's a transitional thing like that with gyms too. I think you, your body just has to know why you're there. If you got a gym at home, it can certainly work, but I don't know. Oh, I'll buy that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can tell you as a gym owner, walking into my gym to work out is the hardest thing I, 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 I've ever done. Yeah. I've always just up until a couple of years ago, uh, had a gym membership somewhere else. Right. I, I paid to work out somewhere else yep. so that I can get out of that environment because the head, the wheels are just turning the entire yeah. time. Like I'm distracted, yep. you know, whether it's that corner over there is dirty. I can see the dust at the bottom of that squat rack to why isn't that, why'd that phone ring two times? It should have only rung once. <laughs> right. You know? can't turn it off. No, yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't turn it off. It's the same if you're at home. Cause I've, I've done that too. I'm not good at doing that either. I need to be either outside in nature or I need to be yeah. in a different, in a different kind of environment to truly be connected. Yeah. And it's, and it's a challenge. So I, one I, other, one other book recommendation oh, yeah, on that too. Here, dude. So there's a great book called the way we're working isn't working. And, uh, this guy talks about, you know, we expect humans to run like computers and, you know, run multiple programs for long periods of time. And we're just not wired that way. So he, he estimates whether this number's right or not, but he estimates, you know, 90 minutes, it's about as long 
as you're going to be able to dial in to and really focus on anything, right? And then after that, you're going to need a little bit of a break. He talks about, um, I think a lot of us, I'm sure both of us have been guilty. You probably have been too, is, you know, taking like work calls on your drive home. He yeah, says, I don't drive anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> he says, don't do it. He says, I know where the tendency comes from, but that drive home is, you know, a transitional activity. Just decompress a little bit. And when you get home, you've done that, and now you can go in and be you. You're st- if you're taking a call, a work call, you're still at work that time. So now you haven't had your transitional activity. When you're sitting in the driveway, finishing up a call, you get out that 10-second walk to the front door. You haven't had your transitional activity, so you go in, and you're still kind of in work mode. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Man, I, I, I believe that 100%. I mean, where we're at now with everybody working from home, particularly, you know, again, it's different kind of everywhere. And I, so I don't want to make too big of a blanket statement, but I will say, again, being in the Silicon Valley and and the nature of how work is being done there now, there is no transition. Yeah. There isn't one. You yeah. are, you. it was the same for schools for a, for a really long time for the kids. Um, and the, I think the hardest part is transitioning into that and then having those those transitions throughout the day. But you know what the heart the hardest fucking part of this whole thing is is getting people to transition back. Yes. Yeah. And and their their the the anxiety that's created like I don't know how I'm going to do this. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's been look, you lived your whole life doing it before, right. but the fear and the anxiety about jumping back into that pattern yeah. to to people is too much for them to take. And they're telling their their employers this, yeah, in one way or another. Uh, and you, we've got you know we've reached this point where you know, as some of the big ones in in Silicon Valley, uh, starting the first of this year, going in like February first, are pretty, pretty much putting a hard hard yeah. line. Like you got to come back to work, right? Um, and it's going to create this you know, this anxiety is all going to be realized one way or another. Yeah. And and how long does it take for people to to transition into that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see for sure. I think, you know, I'm anxious, like I'm, I'm ready. Cause what it's, what it's made for is, you know, this current situation is made for the franchise owner, for the personal trainer, for the gym owner, for the big box manager, whatever it's t- who's been doing this for a very long time. It's been 25 years for me. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to anticipate what or how you're going to have to navigate right in the, in the True. coming year. And yep. I think, you know, it really, really challenged me in, obviously 2020 for a lot of reasons, but 2021 was even, was, was much different and hoping to see certain things happening, but not being bought in that it it was going to, because we're going back to the old ways or or whatever, things are going to kind of recover, do what they're supposed to do. Um, But even now going into, no, we're looking, staring down the belt of 2022 coming in and and going, man, how do I plan for the first of the year this year? Yeah. Right? And, and what is it going to look like season seasonally? And depending on what region of the United States you might be in, or That's even the, a big one too. The yeah. World, you know, it, it's all different. It's just this un kind of charted territory. And that, that might be being a little bit, um, again, that, that cliche might be getting used a, a lot. Like, Hey, we're in unprecedented times. Yeah. Like, we're always in an unprecedented time. Right. It's a new day. Who knows what's going to happen, but there was some predictability. Yeah. Um, and now that's kind of gone, but, and everybody's just kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop. Yeah. So as a, as a coach, right, as a business owner, as a franchise owner, as a leader, you know, I believe the things that you're, you're saying here are the things that I've tried to do, which is you have to keep yourself stimulated. You have yeah. to keep yourself moving, in, in, in a forward direction, whether that's by reading, whether that's by connecting with other professionals, whether that's by going out and learning another skill. Yep. 
if that's the thing that takes you into the transition, like I'm leaving work to go learn this new skill or I'm getting out of this environment where I'm staring in front of my computer, going for a walk, strapping on the headphones to listen to an audio book or a podcast or whatever it is, you have to find a way to transition out of one thing and and, and into another. 100%, 100%. And I think the, you know, I I think the fear is natural, um, but it's just, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit sometimes, man. It's just people are so capable. They're adaptable. They just find, yes. So it's like, I I know it's human nature when we don't kind of know what the future looks like to kind of spaz out a little bit and have some anxiety there. But somehow, man, somehow people just figure it out and it, it ends up being better. We're doing that now. Like that's what's so amazing. Yeah. 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 So we're doing what we're doing now. Well, man, you certainly gotten better with age. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm going to get better with these Padrones uh, too, <laughs> but uh, thanks, man. It's been, I've been looking forward to this, man. Again, you, you cross paths with so many people. Yeah. Um, the little bit of time uh, that we spent together, man, you really made an impact on me, and I've appreciated the ability to just stay connected along the way. Likewise, thanks for coming down here and doing this with me um, at, you know, on short notice and yeah. in your neck of the woods here. Absolutely. A little bit of a different, a different space. Yeah. I appreciate the time, the energy, and... And always the connection, dude. Always, always. Promise me we'll do it again soon. Absolutely. You got it. You got it. All right, brother. Enjoy those Padrones. Thanks, man. Will do. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.